Hello and welcome to our podcast series created by us here at Broadsword called Be Listening. Today we are joined by the multi-talented Angie Choi for our eighth episode. Welcome to the podcast, Angie. Thank you and hello everyone. Can you tell us a bit about yourself, your experience so far and how you came to be working in events? So um, although I was born in Toronto, Canada, I actually grew up and fell in love with Hong Kong. So that's where I am right now. And this is the place I call home. Um, My career actually has been, you would say, very eventful. I started off when I returned uh, to Hong Kong after school. I was started off in a telecom company called Hong Kong Telecom, which is now known as TCCW, in technical support and customer service. Then I headed off to a financial service security firm and was uh, doing HR and admin, so very different from technical support. Then at that time, I actually had a belief that my uh, passion was in accounting, and I wanted, really, really wanted to be able to be an auditor, so I had a very rare chance to get into PwC, so it's PricewaterhouseCoopers, and I don't know if you all know, an audit job is 24-7, um, and but somehow... Some way, I squeezed in a lot of time to be able to help out with some departmental Christmases and sports days, which kind of led me to feel that uh, maybe accounting isn't what I wanted and maybe events or marketing may be, um, as well as the fact that I kept on failing my accounting exams. <laughs> so I had the opportunity to go to CNN, which was my first step into media as well as my first step into marketing. And then I was there for a little bit. Then I joined a magazine company, which their publications was actually about 19 to 20 magazines. And one of the revenue streams was an event. At that point, I had no idea what an event agency was or even the role of a show caller. But after many interesting years and starting doing everything and anything, I decided that maybe mm, this was maybe not my final career. Maybe I should try something else. So I decided to go into CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility, and after a very few short months in that industry, I knew this wasn't it, and events was. Events was my forte, and that's what I love, and I'm still doing now, and that's my passion. Your work sounds extremely varied from loads of different kind of industries, from show calling. I know that you do hybrid, virtual, and in-person events. You're also a producer, a stage manager, and you do some show management training as well. What role do you enjoy taking on the most? You've been doing some research on me, I see. Yeah, I have a very, very background because of, I guess, as I said in my intro, I've been through a lot of different um, careers. And throughout all those industries, they've helped me actually to where I am now. Um, But my most favorite and passion right now is as a show caller. And just to define what a show caller to me is, because the overall definition to everybody may be slightly different. But to me, it's like being a conductor of an orchestra where you um, are the person that helps the techs and the crew understand what is happening throughout the show, especially on stage. They wait for your cue in order for them to take action. And why is this so important? It's because you need harmony in a piece of music. So the same thing with events. You also need harmony. As a show caller, this is what you do. You help everybody bring this harmony and make sure the show happens the way you expect or the client expects, actually. And for every event, there's a purpose. 
And as a show caller, you're kind of like the final door to allow this event to happen the way and to show that purpose and to show the vision of what they wanted. Um, just simple things of, is the microphone being turned on when a person is on stage? Are there lights so people can see the people on stage? Is the video playing with an audio? All of these actually is a show caller reminding the techs behind the equipment to press that button. Another aspect of this role, which I love to, is to communicate with the client. Usually it's prior to the show to understand what their expectation is, as well as on show to know what the changes are, because there's always changes. Digesting the information, then translating it back into terms that the text will understand, then communicating in a clear way for each, what we call kind of the departments of the different teams that are working with you, the sounds, the lights, the video streaming, even the stage management, to understand what the changes are, what is needed. Um, as a show caller, this is what it's um, expected of you. And for some reason, the passion is there, the excitement is there for me, and that's why I hope to continue it. I definitely understand why you like being a show caller. The excitement, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, after almost about two years of COVID and maybe still going, uh, we've all experienced big changes and it seems everyone's had a bit of a different experience. How did the pandemic affect live events for you in Asia and how's the recovery been? So as in all around the world, the pandemic actually hit everyone hard, especially in our industry. So our restrictions in Hong Kong were quite stringent in comparison to many parts in Asia and are still quite stringent. But to cope with the situation, many of our clients and vendors actually maneuvered into virtual events. And when rules relaxed, which they sometimes did months into uh, restrictions, we would arrange hybrid shows. And then when uh, the restrictions became very strict, we went back to virtual ones. So at all times we had on hand and we were ready for any contingencies or scenarios that we were preparing for. So either that show would be a hybrid one or if we received news that it would need to be a virtual one or it would need to be postponed or canceled. So this was something that we were just kind of getting used to. And I think still to this day we are because we kind of never know what's going to be happening in the next two or three months. But it has helped us become more flexible in understanding. So we can still hold an event. It just depends on how you want to hold it. Nothing can stop us. The recovery in Hong Kong has been slightly slower uh, in regards to in real life shows um, since the fifth wave, which kind of ended about a month-ish ago, which was about end of uh, kind of May. Um, and so, but the thing is, is that even though the fifth wave was happening, a lot of the in real life shows, the bigger co uh, conferences were still being prepared. And once the fifth wave ended, we actually went straight into doing our Art Basel, our Art Centrals, Christie's Auctions, um, awards presentations and conferences, which had people coming in, viewing the artwork, whether it be or sitting in a conference. There were restrictions that we had a certain maximum amount of people sitting in the room and they had to be in mass and uh, there was food and beverages were not allowed to be served. But other than that, these shows still continued. And upcoming, even the end of July, we're going to have our large annual Hong Kong Book Fair, which usually has a lot of people going to and visiting a conference or a uh, convention. So things are still happening in Hong Kong, but in other cities like Singapore and Bangkok, actually events are booming. And, and one of the main, main reasons is because travel in, into the country has less restrictions. 
But we hope that Hong Kong or even the whole of Asia will start to boom even better and hopefully more by the um, end maybe of this year. Yeah, we can hope only to more travel, more events in person. And even if you can't have that in-person element, you can always do it virtually. Yes, exactly. Something like the metaverse. Yeah, like in the UK, there's been a lot of hype about the metaverse and kind of its impact on events. Could you tell us what current event trends are happening in your region? So the metaverse is a hype here as well. And I think it's very similar to how it's happening all over the world. Um, right now, what I see of it, but I, I am a show caller, so I don't produce shows now in regards to with uh, the metaverse. But of course, I get to understand no more of it. And I do a lot of research because I really like knowing more about the digital aspect and how certain applications and programs can be used. So it mainly to me consists of mix of avatars as just of, say, it's a face of a less exciting Zoom video feed, which I've seen. So you know how video feeds are just really, it's not, I can't say boring, but you see that person all the time. But sometimes when it's an avatar, it actually looks really interesting, although it's in a frame. We also have uh, 3D avatars that are guiding you through the event. So they're like your MC or your narrator, um, which of course behind it, the voice is a real person but you get to see something more interesting. And then there's a, also, um, they use three avatars to join panel discussions. So it's like everybody's sitting at a panel. And it's um, in a way, it's kind of like playing a video game, but it's more of a more interesting topic. Um, the use of XR, extended reality, also now allows you to immerse into a wider, broader environment, and it displays the purpose of the event itself. So as I mentioned before, each event has a purpose. It has a theme and it has a goal. There's something that the client wants people to know about or to see. Sometimes conferences are quite boring when you just kind of watch it on screen. And now that there are replays and it's actually a video, a lot of times people can fast forward and watch it faster. Not everybody actually watches it in real life. But there are sometimes shows that you watch with extended reality that is much more interesting. And it keeps the um, interest of the audiences as well as it can be a farther reach and have more interaction. So I really feel the metaverse is actually helping with this. Um, though the metaverse is trending, I do want to say that it, it's going to take some time to actually hit it off with events due to a few things, such as cost, the time to prepare and arrange, and the higher need for creativity, let alone designers or programmers to produce it. This is a market that is well in need right now, although there are a lot of uh, designers or programmers that can create a lot of the avatars and things like that because they do it for, for example, ga uh, gaming or esports and things like that. But still, for events, it's slightly different. So there is a little bit of tweaking that needs to be, and the time that needs to be spent to do that is actually longer than what we usually use to prepare an event. So sometimes clients will go, Do I have that time to do that preparation? Is it worth it? Um, some companies may decide not to dive into this as yet because they want to wait for um, some economies of scale solutions to be available first. But that also means that they're not the first to launch and then not the part of the type to be on the top tier of the hype. So it really depends on sometimes what the client wants. I know a lot of large financial firms that want to be the first that does this. And so everybody goes, wow, you're so into this digital world and being the first. But I know also some that are preferred to say, okay, I do have that budget. 
but I don't have that creativity and time. And my purpose of showing is the content of what I want to do about this financial information. So let's stick to that and let's wait to see what else I can do later on. So that's kind of where I've yeah, met right now with the metaverse. I'm waiting for the day where everyone has their own VR set at home and it's just your everyday norm. Correct. And then I'll be seeing you in the VR world. That'd be really cool. I do feel like everyone has that event that they loved dearly. Even through all the chaos, there can be some incredible moments. Can you share an event highlight with us that stands out for you? What made it so memorable? So I do have many um, over the times that I've done, whether it be in real life events or virtual events or hybrid or even extended reality ones. But uh, one that really makes me remember and made my heart beat really quickly was a in real life event that I did um, before COVID. Uh, and it was a casino 15th anniversary in Macau where they had a four minute pyro period. So we only had a certain section of time where we could do pyro. Um, it was very memorable. And why it was memorable? Because for us to do pyro, fire, it's more or less fireworks, but a little different type. Um, we had to have an aviation restriction. And in order to do that, you have to fill in all the forms and make sure the airspace is clear for us to do so. So we got all that approved and the pyro had to be fired out within exactly the four minute period of 7.10 to 7.14 p.m. As you can see, that's really deep into my memory because that period of time was what I was watching at all times. But if that didn't happen at that point in time, and if the pyro didn't fire, what would happen is that someone would be thrown into jail because they did not do what we apply for. Secondly, secondly, yes, the pyro itself would be still there, not being fired. And pyro, you can't keep in storage for a long period of time. You have to have a specific timing of when you're going to be fire using it. Otherwise, it would be too dangerous to keep in storage. So therefore, and the storage itself has to be a specific storage. And a lot of places actually do not have a pyro storage place unless it's very temporary. So it's very dangerous. So the uncontrollable aspects of this event was when this show would start, the reasons being is that you had to make sure all the VIPs and the government officials were seated, they weren't late, the right people were there. The CEO had a speech, okay? And we actually, even though we had a script, we didn't know how long he would talk for because of course he would elaborate from his speech. Not only did he elaborate this time, he spoke in three languages. And so it took quite a while. I was very lucky that I was the, all the performances that we had um, actually were all timed. So they were timed to music and they were acts. And so therefore, based on that, I had to calculate which act I had to remove that could save the time that we had overrun that would hit into the time that I had to do the pyro. And with the trust of Excel, I had one of the acts that I knew that was something that I had to remove and the easiest to remove. And it was actually a act with flags. So what I had to do on comms is I had to quickly say to them is to the SMs, please cut the act of the flags and move to the next act straight away. Unluckily, there was a malfunction in the comms. They were only able to hear bits and pieces, but because we had been prepared for this and we had spoken about it so many times, um, everything was done very well. The SMs were able to pick it up and knew what I was trying to say. Um, and they removed that act, put in the other act, even though it didn't happen all as prepared, 
or planned, but it was a lot of fun. And as no one knew other than the people that were working on it actually knew that we had to cut something to have something else and that we were in such a tight timing. It was a lot of fun and my heart still beats now very quickly when I talk about it. I understand why it's so memorable now. (laughs) Uh, We're unfortunately coming to the end of our show, but before we leave, do you have any tips for someone wanting to start in show calling or events? I do, actually, I do. So one of the things I really love in this uh, industry is that you can share and you can uh, teach people or train people um, that are industry with the passion. So I'll talk about events first. Is I would say that if you have interest or even if sometimes if you're not even sure what an event is, go and try. Do everything and anything that someone gives you. Um, anything, any role is not too small or too big. Okay, and absorb the environment. Find out why you're doing that task and how it will help in the end and in the big picture. Because that slowly will help you build to become a more important role in the event. And by knowing more of the event, whether it be the um, sending out an EDM to invite people out, doing some creatives, the registration of the event, the show itself, and then the end, there's always some post-event that we have to do. Any process of the event actually is very important of the learning process, as well as just be willing to ask, but remember to ask at a good timing, because a lot of times events are really stressful and time is very tight. Sometimes producers don't have time to answer. So it would be always a good time to take a look when they are or just observe. Another thing is to always to do a debrief. Even if the project itself, they don't do a debrief, go to your team leader or go even to yourself or your teammates and do a debrief. What did you do good and what did you do bad? Or not really say bad, what is there in to improve about the event? And it's also a individual thing as well as a team. So don't only look at the improvements. Also look at what you did good because that's very important to bring along to the next event. So going into show calling. So show calling, I started as a producer and built my way into show calling. And actually, I, as I said before, I didn't even know what show calling was. But a lot of times my role in an event was to sit at the control panel. And while I was sitting there, I always wanted to understand what the video guy was doing or what the audio guy was doing or what the lighting uh, control panel meant, what Vader meant what. And so by based on that, by understanding and speaking to them, of course, when they had time, you would kind of understand. And then sometimes when it was downtime, you ask them, can I push the Vader? Can I press this button? And there was also times that they had to kind of run off and not be at the control panel. So you were the backup to be able to press that button. So you kind of knew what was happening. By understanding that sometimes you can actually answer the client when they come to you and say, can this happen or can we do this? Instead of saying no, which a lot of techs and actually Asia sometimes does, is I was able to explain to the client, I can't maybe do this, but I can do something else. Are you willing to let me do that? Can you give me a certain time to program this? Then I would, of course, understand from the tech point of view is what is the difficulty for you to be able to do this? Or what can we do? Do we need another piece of equipment or is our equipment available to do this? So there were many times that that's how I learned. And then slowly but surely, I started listening to how people would show call um, and then also look at their cue sheets and then do my own. I would tell people to do the same and then also start with smaller shows. Really raise your hand and say, can I sit at the control panel and try this out? Then as being confident and clear, try to always explain what you plan is for the show itself as a full. 
And sometimes when you explain, explain in the video aspect, the audio aspect, the lighting aspect, so each technician can understand what is their role. Then when you're doing your cueing is to be clear, concise. And we always say, remember to say go, because go is when they actually have to press the button. Always also look what's happening on stage because it's not just what's happening in your control, it's also what's happening on stage. And so that's why I always help with cueing as well as stage management, because for a certain person to have to bring up the mic to the speaker, or for example, if a microphone is not working and you have to swap the mic, it's for you to tell them, yes, this is a good time to go up. Yes, it's a good time to tell the MC something that we have to update, because usually the MC is on stage and we can't tell them any updates. So it's usually our stage manager to do so. And there's always a time that you can tell her she's off camera or she's not part of the main speaking person. Okay, it's a good time to go up. So to watch the whole entire environment to know what is happening and to be able to be clear at what you're saying. So sometimes you have um, updates from the client or there's something very urgent that happens to be ready to be flexible, understand what has happened and who it will affect and specifically tell those people, this is how it's going to affect you and this is the change. So be ready. Do you need time? Are you ready? And always ask them if they're comfortable. If they are, then you say your word go and then the show can continue. So that's more or less what I would say for a show call. It. Um, one thing, it is nerve-wracking. So just be ready to tell yourself and to breathe in, breathe out, and just be ready to say to yourself, I can do this. I am confident. I know what I'm doing. Of course, preparation is the key. But at that same time, while you're on show, it's you who can tell yourself, I'm ready. I can do this. And go. Yeah, a special thank you to you for sharing your experience with us today. Thank you, too. Thank you for having taking me to have this uh, conversation. If you would like to see more similar content to this, you can follow us on our socials at Broadsword Event House on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Broadsword Group on Twitter, or visit our website at wearebroadsword.com. Thank you for listening and hope to see you on the next one. Bye for now.